In our previous lesson on the prophet Micah, we talked about what God requires of us. It's summarized in Micah 6.8 that tells us where to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. But then the question comes up of why do bad things happen to us when we're trying so hard to be good? So what I decided to do is we're going to take a little digression from our discussion of the prophets and the rest of the Old Testament and explore some of the answers to that question in our lesson today entitled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Christians, Especially When We're Trying So Hard to Do What's Right? Many people are disappointed with God today. They assume that believing in God, especially if they're trying hard to live for Him, means they won't have difficult times or trials. Or if they do, they feel God owes it to them to get them out of it quickly, now. <laughs> we all know that reality doesn't work that way. So we're left with the question of why does God allow bad things to happen? In our lesson today, I'll share seven ways God can use the difficulties of life, seven truths about trials. But before we get into that, we need to get this reason for why we have troubles out of the way. And the first one is when we do something unwise and then blame the devil or God for the consequences of it. We need to take responsibility for the consequences of the actions in our lives. For example, if we eat too much or if we eat the wrong things and it affects our health, it isn't God's fault. Nobody forced our mouth open. We did that. If we haven't invested in relationships, if we're lonely, it isn't the demons that did that to us. We didn't take the time to invest in the relationships. God can help us, and he often protects us in his mercy with challenging situations like these. But if we don't accept responsibility, we can't make the needed changes we need to in areas that we are able to control. Proverbs 19.3 is really blunt on this issue where it says in the NIV translation, A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. The message translation is actually quite a bit more brutal, where it says, People ruin their lives by their own stupidity, so why does God get blamed? Reality is, again, that God often protects us from the consequences of our unwise and sometimes foolish actions. But if we don't take responsibility, we can't make the needed changes in areas that we can control. And when you make the same dumb mistake again and again and again, and we all do that, please be assured that God won't get impatient and give up on you. There's a passage of really great encouragement, at least it has been to me, is in Psalm 103, 3 and 4, where it says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, so that we, with reverence, can serve you. When we mess up, we need to confess our sin, get up, and go forward. One great story on this is in Joshua 7. And many of you remember this. We're told that when they went to Jericho, and everybody knows how they went around the city, and then they shouted, and all the walls fell down. God told them ahead of time that they were not to take any plunder from Jericho, that it was all to be destroyed. But a man named Achan, he thought he knew better than God. He stole gold 
gold and he stole some beautiful clothes and he hid them. And so then when Israel went to fight its next battle, it was defeated. Joshua, after this defeat, he's laying on the ground, he's crying, he's moaning, he's groaning. Oh God, why did you let this happen? Why Why did you do this to us? And here is what God says to him. But in Joshua 7, 10, and 11. But the Lord said to Joshua, Get up off your face. Israel has sinned and has disobeyed my commandment and has taken loot when I said it was not to be taken. And they've not only taken it, they lied about it and have hidden it among their belongings. That is why the people of Israel are being defeated. That is why your men are running from their enemies, for they are cursed. I will not stay with you any longer unless you completely rid yourselves of this sin. It's a great story to remember, and there are a number of times, I must confess, when I just have to say to myself, get up off your face, get to work, you know what you need to do now, just quit whining and do it. There's another foundational truth, and that is, we don't know the reasons why, but in this life, we will always have trials. Jesus promised it. In John 16:33 he said in this world you will have tribulation. We live in a broken world, broken by sin and the many consequences of it. I remember one time, though, when I was talking to an environmentalist, and I happened to be on an airplane, I was reading my Bible, this is when I traveled with my work, and nothing puts a, uh, you might say, a target on you like reading your Bible on an airplane. People feel that they have the uh, almost obligation to attack you for it. And this guy just starts in, and he's just railing about how Christians had destroyed the earth. I don't know why he was blaming us, but anyway, it was our fault, and We'd done all these things and et cetera, et cetera. And he said, well, what do you have to say about that? And when he finally took a breath, and I said, well, I said, I don't know the answer to what you're saying, to all the questions that you have. I I agree that it's a, a really bad situation. But I said, I do know one thing, that someday everything that we have destroyed and humanity is in the process of destroying the earth. I said, one day it will all be new. And the God that created it in perfection, he's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. And it was really interesting because he just, that just stopped and he says, you know, he said, nobody ever told me that. But That is a hope that we all have because though in this world we do have tribulation, we do have bad things that are going to happen. Remember, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. One day, the victory that he would go on to win on the cross would become a universal reality. That's when he promised, and keep in mind, in Revelation 21, it says that he will make all things new. But the challenge is, until then, how do we live in this in-between time? I've used this analogy before, but it's good to bring up again if you haven't heard me talk about it. It's like the time between D-Day and the end of World War II. With D-Day, when they hit the beaches at Normandy, the outcome of the Second World War was determined. There was no doubt that the Allies would win. But... The formal victory didn't come for over a year, though, again, there was no doubt it was coming. It's often been 
compared, this whole time has been compared to the Christian life as we live between Christ's resurrection when he said, it is finished. And I've, I've written a little book on that, Tetelestai, uh, that, that I think might encourage you on that. But, and when it's the final reality when he returns. Fred Zaspel wrote an excellent article for the online Credo magazine, and he talked about, again, the same sorts of things about us living in this in-between time. Here's what he says. I suspect, however, that this rather academic assessment of things, that is, D-Day happened, but there was going to be a year until the final victory, this assessment of things differed greatly from the perspective of soldiers on the ground. There were still dodging bullets and all manner of military force. They were bleeding and wounded. Many were still dying. And there were many harrowing days of the war yet to be endured, even some setbacks. It's not that our soldiers in France were unaware of the significance of Normandy, I'm sure they understood it very well, and this understanding doubtless gave them great encouragement. But from the day-to-day experience of things, this war was still very much in full swing. The dangers were many, they were everywhere, and our families experienced this. My adopted grandfather, he hit the beaches at Normandy, he made it two days inland, and then he stepped on a landmine. It blew up, he was covered with shrapnel, they thought he was dead, they threw him on a pile of dead bodies, and fortunately, before they buried them all, a nurse happened to walk by and notice there was sweat on his upper lip, and apparently dead people do not sweat. They pulled him off the pile of bodies, and he went on to live a very old age. But it was a horrible time. He had horrible injuries. He suffered literally for years as he was recuperating. My uncle was in the Battle of the Bulge, which was one of the very last battles to be fought. We have the postcard that he wrote the night before they went into the battle. They wrote it on Christmas Eve. It was a Christmas postcard. We still have that in our family, but we also have his Purple Heart because he died the next day. So there were, even though victory was assured, there were many difficult things that were going on for individuals. And I want to say right now, neither my uncle or my papa knew what part they played in the war, but they played, both of them, a very important part. Every single soldier contributed to the victory. You don't know the part that you are playing. You don't know what part in the line that you're holding for the kingdom of God, but God does, and someday the victory will be assured. But until that time, we're promised, remember, in Romans 8.28, that all things will work together for our good. And so what I want to do with the reality of trials, I want us to look at seven truths about trials that will, I hope, answer the question of why we go through them. The first one is to remember that God is at work in the midst of trials. In Psalm 50:15, it says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. In Isaiah 43, 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, you they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And then in Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help 
in trouble. These verses encourage us because one of the biggest dangers in hard times is that we tell ourselves when we feel better or whatever that we'll do better when this certain thing is over or when we get this or when we get that prayer answered. But so often the when is a long time coming and God never says he's with us only when the trial is over. He's with us in it when it is going on. And in that, he can work wonderful things in our lives. Let's look at some more of them. Trials can help us grow spiritually. We often, and everybody knows this, we don't like it, but we know it's true, that we often grow the most when times are most difficult, if we have the correct perspective. Psalm 119, 67 and 68 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Psalm 119, 71 and 72 says, The punishment you gave me was the best thing that could have happened to me, for it taught me to pay attention to your laws. They are more valuable to me than millions in silver and gold. Like exercise develops our physical bodies, hard times grow our spiritual selves. In James 1, 3, and 4, it says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature, and well-developed, not deficient in any way. We can grow in many ways from trials, and here's some suggestions on how to do that. First, always ask, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? It's always good also to just to check initially to see if you're unaware of or if you ignored a sin that God wants you to change. A really good prayer is found in Psalm 139, 23 and 24 where it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God's word helps us know what doesn't please him. We won't get that from our world. We honestly sometimes don't know. That's why we need to ask. That's why we need to have him search us. We honestly don't know that certain things are displeasing to him. One example that I think about a lot is consider how people talk to each other today. On television and social media, the whole thing is it seems like the most snarky, the nastiest, the, well, snarky, I think, really describes it. Whoever's the most snarky, that's who wins. That's what people want to imitate. But that's not how God wants us to act. In contrast to television and social media, God's word says, live a life worthy of the calling you received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The message translation says, it puts it this way, Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift.
If we're experiencing trials, we can take time to do an inventory of our lives to see if we're living up to our calling as Christians and make changes if we need to. Now remember also that trials aren't only about us. All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Father of all mercies, the God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times, so that we can be there for that person, just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of His healing comfort. We get a full measure of that, too. That's how the Apostle Paul encouraged people that were going through troubles. And sometimes going through something difficult, God allows that so we can help somebody else later, or at least better understand what they're going through. Always think about, ask, pray, how can you be a witness in your trial? What can other people learn from watching you? How can you use this time to grow closer to Jesus or to learn something new in your spiritual life? Hopefully that you can pass on. I know I listen to people who have been through difficult things much more closely than someone who's just had a really easy, carefree life. It's kind of like, you know, what do they know? <laughs> um, I don't want to be cynical on that, but I do listen to someone who, again, has been through a very difficult time and who can say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that He is a present help in time of trouble. Number four, trials teach us the real source of hope. Hope real hope in a time where things will get better, ultimate hope in true justice where all wrongs are righted, all good dreams come true, is only found in God and in his coming kingdom where all will be renewed, all will be made whole. Hope in anything less will always disappoint us and it's often a lie. Be careful of human platitudes about hope. And there's a lot of them around. They're blatantly false. Here's one of them. But hoping, she said, is how the impossible can be possible after all. Marissa Meyer, who writes a lot of self-help things, said that. That is absolute baloney. Hope does not make the impossible possible. I can just hope all kinds of things, and that's just not going to make them happen. Trials show these human platitudes for what they are because they simply do not work. Real hope is only found in the Lord because hope, like faith, is only as good as its object. Hope and faith must have an object. We must hope in something or someone, not just this vague hope. You can't tell yourself, have hope or have faith. It's always in what? Remember this verse where it says, But those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. They soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Because God is the object of our hope. It is a hope that can give us strength. Once again, we won't know the Lord of hope if we don't get to know him in his word. That's why it's so important to spend time in God's Word to know who our God is, why we can hope in Him, why we can trust in Him. 
Now then to number five. Trials teach us the truth about thankfulness. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In, remember, not for, so many pastors emphasize this, In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Doing this isn't denial. Many biblical writers screamed, cried, asked why, but they didn't stop there. This psalm is a good example, where it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Thankfulness is powerful. The psalmist remembered to be thankful and praise God again in the midst of all that was going on. You don't have to thank God for the situation, but you can be thankful to Him no matter what, because this present hardship is not all there is in this life now or forever. When you do that, thankfulness changes you. Wallowing in pity often makes it worse and makes you unpleasant to be around. What you focus on can consume you, either God or circumstances. You can be a witness or a whiner. You can't be both. You choose how you're going to act. And again, this really spills out into other people. Be joyful. Be thankful. Express your trust in God, even though you can say, this really hurts and I'm really sad. But remember, God is in control. Trials do teach us the truth about God. We're told God is love, that he can be trusted, that all works together for good. This might be hard to believe now, because in your trial, as always, Satan will lie about God. Remember the very first challenge that he gave humanity in the Garden of Eden was he said to Eve, Hath God said? And he's always going to say that to you. He's always going to malign the character of God in difficulties, in questionable situations, in temptations. But we always need to go back to what does the Bible say? And we have the opportunity in the midst of trials to affirm that God is love, mercy, grace, and truth. And sometimes we need to actually say out loud, and I do this, when stuff's really hard, sometimes just so the hosts of heaven and Satan and everybody can just hear me, I'll shake my fist at the heavens and I'll say, I believe you are a good God. No matter what is going on, no matter how difficult something might be, no matter how disappointed I might be or, or hurting or whatever, you are a good God and I believe you. Now, 
If you're struggling with trusting God in that, I would like to suggest how to learn more about what God is really like. You need to do that to sustain you in a trial. That's one of the most important reasons that I talk about with Bible 805, reading through the Bible chronologically. It's a continuing theme with me. I talk about it again and again. It's so important because when you read through the entire Bible, many of you are doing it now. I'm going to go through it again. Lord willing, next year I've got I'm doing a different approach. Then um, I try different things at different times to to help you go through it. But that's so important because when you see how God works through all of biblical history, it will give you a much greater confidence and trust in Him. It will assure you of God's love now. Seeing how He's been faithful in the past will help you trust that He can be faithful to, to you today, even though the practical outworking of that faithfulness can take some time. And it always takes longer than we want it to. And then, finally, number seven, trials teach us the truth about eternity. Eternity is just one moment away. If COVID's tossed us any, taught us anything, that's it. People are healthy one week and gone the next. But it doesn't take a pandemic to remind us of that reality. I've shared this with many of you, but for those of you that haven't heard it, I came close to dying a while back. I was in the hospital. Um, I had a very complex hip replacement. It was all, just all kinds of different difficulties. Everything had gone well, though, until one day in physical therapy, I remember looking up at my therapist and just saying to her, I'm going to pass out now. And I did. And I was kind of semi-conscious. They they ended up calling a code blue. They rushed in the crash team. It was um, I was vaguely aware that it was like something out of a movie where they were doing all this stuff to me. Um, I vaguely could hear them. It seemed like they were a long distance away. They did bring me back um, when I woke up or came to or whatever it was. I was just attached to all kinds of wires and this and that and the other. They put me down in the coronary care unit. Apparently something had happened with my heart. And they said, you almost died. They said, we almost lost you. If, you know, the therapist hadn't been in the room then, you would have been gone. And it was it was really very interesting. They never could figure out what that happened, why it had happened. But if that trial hadn't happened... I wouldn't have had the experience of God's extraordinary peace and comfort, even though death was very possible, and I knew that, but I was completely at peace. The Bible tells us that we can have the true assurance that we don't need to fear death, because our Lord has gone there, and He came back. And even more wonderful, He's promised to be with us every step of our journey in this life and forever. Because eternity can break into our current reality at any time, we do well to live daily with eternity in mind. The Apostle Peter put it this way, Since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God, eager for, eager for its arrival. The galaxies will burn up and the elements melt down that day. But we'll hardly notice. We'll be looking the other way, ready for the promised new heavens and promised new earth, 
all landscaped with righteousness. That's Second Peter three eleven through thirteen. Let's quickly review the seven truths about trials: how God can work for good in the difficulties of life. Number one, we can be assured that God is at work in the midst of our trials. Number two, trials can help us grow spiritually. Number three, trials aren't only about us, but they can give us wonderful things to share with others. Number four, trials teach us the real source of hope. Number five, trials teach us the truth about thankfulness. Number six, trials teach us the truth about God. Number seven, trials teach us the truth about eternity. In conclusion, I want to share some comments from Julian of Norwich. She lived during the Black Plague of the 14th century, and when she was asking God, why, why do these things happen? Back to our title, why do good do things happen to Christians, bad things happen to Christians who are trying so hard to please God? This is what she believed God's answer was. He did not say, you will never have a rough passage. You will never be overstrained. You will never feel uncomfortable. But he did say, you will never be overcome. And her final summary of God's promises is that she felt that he was saying to her, all will be well, all will be well, all manner of things will be well. And so they will be when our Lord Jesus returns. May we live in trust and peace until that day, no matter what trials our Lord allows in this life. That's all for now. Please check out the show notes and other materials, and I've got a lot of really neat associated materials that go with this lesson, some, some printables, some ebooks. I've just got a number of things that I think you'll enjoy. They're all, the links to all of them are at www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word, and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.